Welcome to Literary Elixirs, where we match books with delicious food and drink. I'm Justine the Librarian, and I'll be chatting with various bibliophiles about their favourite recommended reads and just what elixir they choose to pair for a wonderful reading experience. Joining me for this episode's online chat is award-winning young adult crime author Ellie Marnie. Ellie has been involved in the creation of the national campaign Love Oz YA to promote and advocate for Australian YA literature. She has contributed to the critically acclaimed Begin and Begin, a Love Oz YA anthology, and she co-runs the popular Love Oz YA book club online, which I highly recommend you join. Ellie's books include the Circus Hearts series, White Knight, the Every Trilogy, which begins with Every Breath and was her first young adult book published in 2013. Her latest book is None Shall Sleep, which was released in September 2020. It's very fresh. And it is a dark and chilling read following two teenagers unfortunately familiar with the violence of serial killers who are drawn into an FBI case and become the conduit between the FBI and an incarcerated teenage serial killer who seems to have insight into the current case. And I cannot wait to talk to her about it. Ellie, hello. Thank you so much for joining me today and welcome to Literary Elixirs. Justine, thank you for having me. It's so nice to come and visit. I was so excited. Uh, your publisher, actually, Alan and Unwin, reached out and, and suggested you might be interested and I nearly fell off my oh, chair. God. I was very, <laughs> very happy to hear that because I've been hanging out to read your book, None Shall Sleep. Um, I just, yeah, the, the premise fascinated me. But before we get into that, I wanted to ask you, You've clearly got a passion for crime writing. I know from your bio that you've actually gone behind the scenes at the Westminster Mortuary in London, and you've interviewed mm -hmm. forensic autopsy specialists around the world in order to get the gory details correct. But what drew you to writing crime fiction in the first place and why for a young adult audience? Um, okay, uh, I'm trying to think now. Crime fiction, well, I... I first started writing adult short stories and um, I had my first success through Sisters in Crime. Um, they have the Scarlet Stiletto Awards, which is the short story awards every year. And I won that award in 2010 with a short story. And I, I mean, look, I had dabbled in lots of different genres before crime, but something about it just really grabbed me. <laughs> and, you know, obviously... After I submitted and won, I was like, oh, well, I seem to be pretty good at this, you know. So I actually have been in, interested in true crime for a really long time. And um, things like um, Mindhunter by John Douglas was one of the first books that I read that inspired me, you know, one of the things that inspired me to write None Shall Sleep. And I read that way back in my 20s. And so I've always had this kind of background interest in crime and crime fiction kind of hovering around there but look I've I've kind of dug into it a bit more because now that you know I'm 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 very much now a crime writer a YA crime writer and so I've dug into it a little bit more and I've I started to feel like there's an essential question at the heart of every genre you know so for fantasy it would be like you know what would our lives be like? What would our society and culture be like if there were these small differences or in some case, big differences? Um, and, you know, so every, every genre seems to have its essential question at the heart of, of that particular genre. Um, and with crime, it seems to be, 
you know, like what's the human face of good and evil? You know, what, what is, um, what is it that leads people to, to do horrifying things? Um, and also in terms of the detectives, you know, what is it, what kind of person devotes their life to investigating that sort of stuff? You know, so those are the questions I think that I've always found quite fascinating. Um, even though I do find other genres fascinating, those essential questions that lie at the heart of crime are something that really grabbed me. And for, and for teenagers, I think those questions are really relevant. Like, you know, when you're a teenager, you're, you're at a point in your life where you're starting to think about what kind of adult life will I have? What path will I follow? Um, and, you know, you, you kind of pushed closer and closer to the point where you have to make really critical life decisions. Um, so I think for teenagers, they find that a bit fascinating. Like, you know, what makes people make bad choices? <laughs> you know, what kind of choices will I make? Um, so I find that interesting. And I think teenagers find that interesting too. I mean, a lot of teenagers, I think, feel that they're a bit of a mystery even to themselves. So, <laughs> and, um, and living with teenagers, yeah, they are still a bit of a mystery to me. That's so interesting to me. Um, the fact that, uh, of course, you have teenagers in your family. Do they read yes. your work? Yes, they do. <laughs> it's really funny, actually. Um, um, well, I have an older son who's overseas right now. So he hasn't read my new book yet. And then I have a boy who's doing year 12 and he's too busy to read anything except his English texts. Um, but then I have two younger boys and only one of them is really old enough to read um, YA. Um, and he's read Nutshell Sleep. And he's read almost all of my stuff actually now. He kind of, he's a bit of a voracious reader. So he's kind of torn through everything. And yeah, they're, they're into it. It's, it's kind of weird. <laughs> they, they, he does. What was that? Do they critique you? Um, no, but he, I did have an experience where um, one of my boys was reading uh, my book White Knight and they, he came back to me and said, oh, this dialogue sounds like us at home. Did you just like rip that off? <laughs> And I was like, um, <laughs> what could I say? <laughs> Inspired by life. <laughs> yeah, as all good books should be, indeed. I also wanted to ask you, um, so your every series, or your every trilogy is a contemporary yes. take on the Sherlock Holmes stories. Very relevant right now, I guess, with Enola Holmes being out too. Um, yeah. Anybody with a Sherlock Holmes, you know, fetish right now. And None Shall Sleep, which is an absolute cracker of a psychological thriller, was very clearly inspired by Thomas Harris's book, Silence of the Lambs. And I can see that Mindhunter influence as well. Um, but although both of those, like both the Every Series and, and None Shall Sleep, are very much their own stories. And I wanted to ask you how you go about reimagining classic tales which so many readers already know, and yet you keep them feeling so original. I was just going to say, first of all, I just watched Enola Holmes last night. It was so great. I loved it. Um, when I wrote the Every Series, it was very much, it very much came out of my question of what would a contemporary teenage Sherlock be like? So, yeah, I mean, I was, you know, part of it is just me following my own interests. I mean, I, I was obsessed with Sherlock Holmes as a teenager myself and then in my 20s I was you know completely interested in in Mindhunter and Silence of the Lambs and all of Thomas Harris's books so 
uh, it, it sort of made sense for me to gravitate towards the things that I knew well and that I, I felt uh, that I really enjoyed. But in terms of reimagining them for contemporary audiences, uh, particularly for, for teenagers, contemporary teenagers, I mean, I, I always kind of assume that people know this stuff, but they don't. You know, a lot of contemporary teenagers just don't. I mean, I go into schools and talk to um, classes of, of kids in high schools and things like that. And, and I say, have you ever read any of the Sherlock canon? And um, I'll be lucky to get one hand raised, you know. So we kind of assume that they know everything there is to know about Sherlock. Um, and that may not necessarily be true. And when I was thinking, oh, this would be great to to feed into Nuncha Sleep when I was thinking, oh, Silence of the Lambs for YA, I actually asked my sons. I said, oh, have you guys ever read um, Silence of the Lambs or seen the movie? And they were like, what movie? What are you talking about? <laughs> so part of it is we have this assumption as adults that the teenagers, you know, will be able to see these references, but um, most of the time they don't. You know, they've got a lot of their own contemporary um, media that they're interested in and, and the old stuff is kind of by the by. So as soon as they said, oh no, I've never heard of Silence of the Lambs, I was like, oh, okay. So there's actually a whole group of teenagers out there who've never heard of this stuff, you know, so this is gonna be fun. <laughs> I mean, look, I also think too, Campbell talked about the hero's journey and did the research, did all this research about story and how many different types of story there are and how you can't really tell an original story anymore and all this sort of stuff. I think there's something about, um, you know, we like to see the old tropes. We actually do like to see what's familiar. We, and then when we recognise it, we get that kind of jolt, like, oh, I know what's going to happen now. Oh, my goodness. So on lots of levels, I think, yeah, um, we still do like to have a bit of familiarity along with our original content. That's why Enola was so exciting, I think, on lots of levels. Because you would be like, oh, hang on, this is Sherlock Holmes, but it's from a completely different angle with a different character who's, you know, perceiving it in a totally new way. So I think that was my aim with None Shall Sleep was to kind of give a bit of a spin on it that was both contemporary and looking at the life or the world of serial killers and the people who investigate them from a new angle, from a teenage angle. Mm. Yeah. So I, I completely agree, actually. I think all of the books that I can think of that I have absolutely adored always start with something familiar. They might not follow that path. And most of the ones that I truly love go somewhere completely different and unexpected. And, that, and that's what I actually really love about them. But they hook me in through that familiarity in the first instance, I guess. Um, yeah. And I love too that you're introducing a whole new generation of people to Silence of the Lambs, <laughs> at least the movie, because you know they're not going to read the book. But um, <laughs> it's brilliant. It, it is brilliant. Um, I absolutely loved None Shall Sleep. It's a total page turner. Very creepy. Thank I you. don't do creepy very well, Ellie. <laughs> so I have to... <laughs> I love you. I had to leave the book in the living room overnight. Like I couldn't have it. Oh no! It was just like one of those things. Um, I was trying to sleep. I was like, I have to put this out. I have to put this out. <laughs> oh no! You have to put it in the next room. <laughs> it's actually a couple of rooms away, just for safekeeping. Um, but the three main teenage characters are all really brilliantly written. They're complex. 
But I'm curious as to how you went about writing from the point of view of Simon, the teenage serial killer. How do you <laughs> in that mindset? Well, look, I, I didn't actually have uh, too much trouble writing from Emma's perspective and from Travis Bell's perspective, the two other, the two main protags. But yes, yeah, Simon Goodmanson is uh, a sociopath. So yeah, he's a very interesting character and um, writing his scenes actually was a lot of work because, you know, the other thing about, about him, apart from the fact that he's a sociopath is he's a genius. And I am very much not a genius. <laughs> you know, I have this terrible habit of writing these characters who are masterminds <laughs> um, or in the 98th percentile in terms of intelligence or something like that. And, and I am not. I am just a very normal, ordinary person. Um, I'm not a genius, as my children are often reminding me. And so, yeah, I found it. Uh, I had to spend a lot of time um, figuring out a lot of Simon's dialogue because he's it's very difficult writing someone who's like 10 steps ahead of everyone in the room. You know, he's, he's way ahead of everybody intellectually. Um, so, and yeah. And then I had to also balance that with the fact that I didn't want him to sound like he was 45. You know, when you write a character who's really bright, it, it's very easy to write them as if, they, and you know, they can sound very smart and they have all this dialogue, but you know, you have to, um, you have to remember that they're still young. There's still things that they don't know, the life experiences that they haven't had and things that they can't anticipate. So no matter how intelligent Simon is, I have to, I had to also show that he's still a young guy, you know, he's, he's only 19 and, um, and there's still a lot of life that he hasn't experienced. Um, so yeah, so it was a real balancing act. Um, and as far as, the whole sociopath thing. I mean, I've done an awful lot of research into sociopaths. In fact, it's, um, it's kind of to the dismay of a lot of my writer friends. People say, oh, you know, what would this evil character do? And I can say, oh, well, if he was a sociopath, he could do this. <laughs> um, so I'm not wanting to freak people out completely. But, yeah, I have, I have done a lot of research into that mindset and into, into the kinds of personality traits and behaviors that they exhibit. So, um, yeah, I, I kind of knew all of that background. And then I had to combine all of those things together to put Simon onto the page. I'm mildly concerned that it was easier for you to write the sociopath side than the genius side, but I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, there's, there's a lot of research. <laughs> there's actually heaps of research done on sociopaths and psychopaths um, and malignant narcissists. And um, it's always interesting to read that stuff. I mean, some of it's very sobering and pretty scary. Uh, there's a great book, actually, um, by a guy called John Ronson. He wrote a book called The Psychopath Test, um, which I actually acknowledge in the back of the book, in the author's notes. And that was really, really interesting. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's plenty of material out there if you want to write your own sociopath. I think we all maybe secretly want to write our own, but not be our own. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I thought it was done brilliantly. I, um, I actually 
found myself liking Simon, which I thought was the real trick that, that you pulled on us all. You know, he's, he's a serial <laughs> killer. And yet you're like the, the dialogue between him and Emma was some of the best bits. So the bit I don't like so much about creepy, you know, books is when they edge into sort of that sort of horror thriller type. And, mm -hmm. um, and None Shall Sleep does that a little bit. And it's through that Simon sort of psychology and, and his manipulation and, and obviously yeah. the serial killer as well. And I mean, it's just, um, and yet I love Silence of the Lambs. So of course I was going to love this. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it is still very creepy, but it is done so well that I couldn't put it down. Um, I wanted to ask you, launching a book in lockdown must have been so tough. Um, what kinds of events are you doing and how are you finding it? Um, yeah, look... It's, it has been tough. I mean, I really do like to have live events. Um, and of course, that's always preferable because, you know, you get to sign books, you get to meet people and there's, and there's a lot of energy in a room when you've got a whole lot of people there. And, you know, that's, I really do miss that. I miss that heaps. But at the same time, I live a couple of hours north of Melbourne. So every time I have an event, that's like a whole day's travel and I have to stay overnight and all of the rest of it and you know traveling interstate is is really hard so actually digital events have been kind of a godsend and um it's also enabled me to do events overseas so i've already done like um i did one for books of wonder in new york with bridget Kemmerer, and i did an event for book people in texas with um jennifer lynn barnes and i've got another event coming up in texas soon i mean all of this sort of stuff would never have occurred if we hadn't been um, physically distanced from each other by COVID, you know, and it's like suddenly we've got this, like, you know, we can, we can, we've figured it all out that we can actually do this stuff. And it's, it's been really amazing. So yes, on lots of levels, it's been really hard. And also it's been, it's been hard to publicize a new book because you know, I was reading an article the other day about book releases in 2020 and a lot of books that were supposed to release early in the year got pushed back because everyone sort of thought, oh, you know, well, we'll do that later when COVID's over. Well, they all got pushed back to September <laughs> and there were like 600 titles came out in the first week of September. It's like, wow, that is a lot of books and everyone's trying to you know, promote all at once. And that's really, so that's tricky. But in terms of, of making it more possible to kind of reach your hands across the distance and, and talk to somebody from another state or from another city or from another country, that's been amazing. So yeah, um, hasn't been all bad. That's, yeah, that's very, very good to hear. Um, yeah, I obviously with this podcast, I originally started it going out to local places and, and talking to, you know, um, brewers and winemakers and cheesemakers and yeah. all that. And then, of course, yeah, this happened. And one of my favorite things is now that I'm able to talk to authors. And I just, that wasn't what I was <laughs> going to do. And now it's been what I've been mainly doing. And as well as librarians and booksellers, and also going back to local businesses now that they've got a bit more of a handle on things too. And it's just, it's heaps of fun. It really is. And it's, um, yeah, yeah. it's bridging, bridging that international distance too, which I love so much. Um, all right. It's time to get to the heart of it. I asked you to think about some <laughs> of your favourite books and what you would like to pair to eat or drink with those books. What was your first pick, Ellie? Well, my first pick was another thriller <laughs> because, because Lily Wilkinson has been writing in Australian YA for a really long time 
And uh, she's released a couple of thrillers. And the one that she released this year, The Erasure Initiative, was an absolute knockout. And it was also something that I read, you know, like I read it more than a month ago and it's still, it's still really staying with me. So it's about a bunch of people who wake up on a self-driving bus with no memory. And then the bus is going and it's, it's on this track on an island and they don't know who they are or why they're there or what is going on with the bus. But then they keep getting these questions on a screen in the bus which present them with different variations of the trolley problem, which is, you know, um, you know, do you go left and kill one person on the track or do you go right and kill three people on the track? You know, and then, I, I mean, this is how it all starts. This is how the book starts. And then, then it just picks up speed from there. So that was, that was definitely an amazing book that I highly recommend. And as far as food goes, well, everybody on the bus gets this, um, these like mystery meat sandwiches. Oh. So like <laughs> whenever, whenever they complete one of the problems or, or, you know, after they've completed a certain number of problems, they get mystery meat sandwiches. And do you remember, I don't know if you remember, you may not have had a completely different childhood to me, but when I was a kid going to school, there would be kids in my class who got these white bread sandwiches with pex paste on them. Have you ever heard of pex paste? No. It's like a jar of, of this stuff, which is like, it's like a jar of, of spread and it would be like shrimp flavored or um, bacon flavored or... I know, right? <laughs> it just sounds disgusting. But I was absolutely jealous of all of these kids who got these Pex Paste sandwiches until I tasted it, of course. I remember, I remember like bugging my mother to buy Pex Paste once. And then we tried it and I was just like, that is revolting. <laughs> so, so for Lily's book, Definitely a selection of Pex paste sandwiches, mystery meat sandwiches on a plate. Um, and to drink, I think we would have to go something, uh, it would have to be a heavy drink. So some sort of cocktail and because you're on an island, some sort of maybe something with a, an umbrella in it or a Long Island iced tea. There you go. That's got island in the title. <laughs> I love that. That's so good. Pex paste sounds dreadful. Yeah, it is. It's cool. disgusting. <laughs> but that book sounds amazing and I'd not heard of it. I love Lily Wilkinson. Um, so yeah, the Erasure Initiative. I'm definitely going to, I'm not much for horror, but I, I do like to try. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's, it's really um, amazing that we're getting more thriller writers coming through in Australian YA. So I'm, I'm very excited about it. And it was great to um, read this one. Brilliant. Well, I don't like to make you do all the work. So I have done a book and pairing as well. So I don't know if you've ever heard of this one. It's called The Last Days of Jack Sparks by Jason Arnott. No, I have not heard of this one. It's not What's new. It it's published in 2016, but it's um, it's one of the creepiest and yet funnest uh, books I've read. And as uh -huh. I'm not someone who likes creepy or scary books, that's saying a lot. Um, and because I love None Shall Sleep and it's October, I thought, look, let's let's talk about this creepy book that I read once. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> so Jack Sparks died whilst writing this book. 
To his fans, Jack was a fearless rebel. To his detractors, he was a talentless hack. Either way, his death comes as a shock to everyone. He's a journalist. So this book is compiled from the files found after his death and reveals the chilling details of his final hours. Um, he's been researching the occult for his new book. He's already triggered a furious Twitter storm by mocking an exorcism he witnessed. And then there's this video about 36 seconds of chilling footage that he repeatedly claims was not of his making and yet was posted from his own YouTube account. And nobody knew what happened to Jack in the days that followed his death. This is a book that really creeps up on you in every sense of that word. Um, it's a bit of a slow start. Jack is incredibly unlikable as narrators go. He's opinionated, egotistical, confrontational, totally unreliable. <laughs> but he's also a little bit self-aware about that. So you can't dislike him completely and you kind of get drawn into his story. It's a very different kind of book. It's, it's fairly original, I think. It's very creepy, very funny, even quite wry in parts. And then it's all of a sudden, and there's moments where it's not at all funny, and all it is is like eerily quiet, and you just don't want to be alone reading it, or I did not want to be alone <laughs> reading it. The main character, Jack, doesn't believe in the supernatural, at least on the surface. But then we follow along with his story, and we discover certain childhood experiences, which led to his current profession of unearthing the supernatural as a journalist. And then as you read on, you kind of realise that the end is actually the beginning. And that that's a really interesting sort of concept as well. So even though it does start rather slowly, it gets really, really creepy and then everything's made clear, kind of, except it's not. But anyway, I'm not saying, I'm not selling it very well, am I? It's very clever. <laughs> it's multi-layered. It explores spirituality, belief, possession, guilt, the afterlife. I found it pretty scary. And I think that the only thing I could think of to pair with it would be a really strong coffee to keep you alert um, while you're reading it for all the little, little nuances and then a chamomile tea just to calm you down because it's really quite scary. <laughs> so, yeah, one after the other. settle you at the end of it. Exactly, exactly. And if you had to have food, you'd have to have something like really basic, like Vegemite on toast or just something really simple that was like very much um, comforting because, yeah, I found this one, I found this one very, very scary. But I'm easily scared, so... <laughs> I'm intrigued. I'm going to look it up. <laughs> we don't have to read it, though. All right. What's your second book pairing for us today, Ellie? Well, about a month and a half ago, I read um, Circe by Madeline Miller. And it just it made a really profound impression on me. I thought it was beautifully written and um, completely engrossing. It was one of those books that I sat down and I just couldn't, you know, I couldn't do anything else I just had to sit down and read that book um, and so everyone just kind of got neglected while I was sitting on the couch reading reading this book um, do you know about the story of Ceci I don't know if anyone else has picked this one for literary elixirs um, basically it's the story of the witch Ceci who was banished to a desert a deserted not a desert but a deserted island by Zeus um, and so she's like a demigod basically and do you remember the story where Odysseus comes to this island and all, they land there and they think it's a deserted island and then they meet this girl there and then she turns all of Odysseus's men into pigs it's a very old myth um, very old Greek myth and so this is the story behind this woman and starting from when she's you know, a baby all the way through to this this period of her life. And it's really moving. And 
Yeah, look, I just, I was just completely caught up in it and I couldn't put it down. So it's kind of like a feminist reimagining of those Greek myths that, that we kind of have heard or, or we might have heard or read about in school or something like that. And then, you know, everyone knows about the Odyssey, but not a lot of uh, time or attention is given to people like Ceci or Penelope, you know, who was waiting for Odysseus. Um, so, yeah, look, I, was, I, I love that book. And throughout the book, there's, there's plenty of feasts. And, and there's all, but there's these beautiful meals on the island where she sits down with, with people and they're eating like um, cheese, like Greek feta cheese and ripe olives and wine, you know. And we're just coming into spring where I am here in, in north central Victoria. And so this is the time of year when I, that's the kind of food I want to eat. You know, I just want to sit down. I want to eat dolmatis. I want to eat feta cheese and crusty bread and with olive oil drizzled over the top of it and drink, I know, drink lots of nice wine and, yeah, sit out on the deck um, with a nice glass of wine and something nice, something cooled and chilled and, um, and enjoy this kind of feast. So that sounds perfect for me. I think that has just made me so hungry. <laughs> <laughs> This show must make you hungry all the time. It does. It makes my <laughs> to be red pile enormous and my stomach rumble all the time. <laughs> my mouth salad. I don't blame you. I was a little nervous that you were going to reference the the myth um, with the turning Odysseus's men into pigs by suggesting pork as a as a pairing. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I much prefer dolmades and feta cheese and crusty bread with olive oil and a good cold wine. Yeah, it sounds divine. Yeah, that's that's it. That is so much fun. I love those books and those pairings. And um, I've been meaning to read Cersei actually, and it's it's on my pile. And I just oh, I, do it. It's pile. I need it's so it. satisfying. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really satisfying read. I'm gonna have to get bumped up. That's for sure. I, I love the sound of it. And and Lily Wilkinson's book as well. I'm gonna have to look for that one. That sounds really really cool. I love it when. <laughs> Australian young adult writers do something that I think is a bit different for them. And that seems like a little bit of a, a different um, genre for her to take on. So yep. awesome. I like that. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being part of this episode today, Ellie. And for everybody Thank you so much there, for having me. Ah, we've loved it. For everybody out there, do yourself a favor and grab one or as many as you can carry of Ellie's books. If you love strong female characters, smart teens, classic tales reimagined, crime thrillers with a twist and being terrified by a book, then you will love <laughs> None Shall Sleep and Ellie's books as much as I do. That's all from me, folks. Remember to check out Ellie's website, elliemarnie.com, for more information about her writing. And you can follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Ellie Marnie and on Facebook at Ellie Marnie Author. Do let me know if you have any suggestions for who I should speak with next for some delicious pairings. You can find Literary Elixirs on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Literary Elixirs. And if you're interested in more information, such as notes and photos from each episode, check out LiteraryElixirs.com. Enjoy all elixirs responsibly. And remember, books go with pretty much anything. Thank you.